Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. And at our church, we talk a lot about wanting to be a part of restoring faith in Jesus and the church. So we want you to know, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, whether you're deconstructing or reconstructing, whether you're disentangling, doubting, rebuilding, no matter where you are, we want you to know that you are not alone. And we want to be a support for you as you journey down this road of faith. So if you have questions or you need support, we would love to chat with you. You can reach out to us through our website at restoreaustin.org. And we hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Summer Mixtape 2022. I am here with Pastor Gail and Dr. Brian Bantam. Um, What's up? They- So excited to be with y'all. So excited to be with y'all. They um, just had a book come out called Choosing Us. Subtitle is Marriage and Mutual Flourishing in a World of Difference. Um, I can very honestly say it's the best marriage book I've ever read. I'm not even sure it's that close, uh, that there's a close second. Um, So yes, I just want to thank you not only for being on, but for the gift of, of this and for the gift of the work that you do in pastoral ministry and in academia. Um, really grateful for y'all. It's so good to be with you and your community for this series. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, Well, let me give you a little bit of background on Pastor Gail and Dr. Brian. If you don't know them, I'm just going to read from the book jacket. So Gail Song Bantam is the lead pastor at Quest Church and has created four mentoring groups nationally for women of color leaders, a nationally known speaker on topics of justice, leadership, and mentoring. She has spoken at Why Christian, Evolving Faith, Christian Community Development Association, the CCDA, and the Proctor's Children Defense Fund Conference, among others. And then Brian Bantam, Dr. Brian Bantam, is a PhD from Duke University. Um, I'm actually like a huge Blue Devils fan, so I don't talk about it a ton, but yes, very, very into it. Um, Go Duke. Duke. (laughs) And Dr. Brian writes and speaks on the intersections of identity, race, and gender. He is the Neil F. and Isla A. Fisher Professor of Theology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, a contributing editor for the Christian Century, and the author of The Death of Race, Building a New Christianity in a Racial World, and Redeeming Mulatto, the th- a Theology of Christian Hybridity. Um, and they are the co-authors of this book. Uh, just a little bit of background. We got connected through a mutual friend named Mike Goldsworthy, who we affectionately call, I affectionately call Bishop Mike. Um, as he is uh, helping kind of spearhead um, some post-evangelical movements around the country. And uh, Mike was on our summer mixtape last summer um, and talked about just kind of what it means to be a pastor and um, all of that kind of stuff. We had a great conversation. And so thanks to Mike for connecting us. And again, thanks for y'all for being on. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, could you start off? Obviously, this is a marriage book. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about kind of how you got together and then what led up to writing this book? Yeah, so this is our 2022 is uh, 20. We'll be celebrating 26 years of marriage this August, which is wild to even think of. Um, We met through kind of, you know, not not your typical uh, situation. I had just lost my mother to cancer when I was 18. I was um, in the summer vacation um, part of my undergrad years. Um, back home, my mom passed and then um, went back to school. And a mutual friend of ours who was at his school, I was in New York, he was in Pennsylvania, okay. um, kind of called and checked in on me. How are you doing? I heard your mom passed. Hey, there's this guy down the hall from me that also lost his dad a year ago. 
would you be interested in me having him write you? I don't know how to help you in your grief, uh, but he's a cool guy. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And so this is before cell phones, internet, okay. all of that. So it's letter writing and landlines, right? 10 cents a minute. And I get this letter from him, this random strange guy, um, just introducing himself. And then we get a call. I get a call or maybe the call was first. I couldn't wait. The call yeah. came first. The call came first before the letter <laughs> arrived. Uh, and we talked for five hours. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, just about everything that happened, just getting to know each other. And it was just really easy. Yeah. Um, and then years later, I find out that she had actually told him, Hey, there's a girl that I think you would find interesting to date. <laughs> I had know. nothing oh, to do with losing parents, et cetera, wow. but whatever we've gotten over that. Um, <laughs> so we Are you also friends with her? Like, is she still, you know, we her... haven't actually been in touch for a okay. while. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not because of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And so we started dating long distance okay. and we got engaged. Um, yeah. I told my dad, I was like, Hey, I'm, I want to marry this guy. My dad was like, nah, um, it's, mm-hmm. you either got to pick him or me. Obviously wow. I picked him. Um, lost relationship with my father for about 20 something years. He just recently passed in 2017. We were able Mm -hmm. to reconcile. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been in ministry together. As soon as we graduated, um, we got married in college our last year, did ministry together, had three kids who are now grown adults, uh, Mm -hmm. three sons. Caleb, Ezra, and Joseph, and moved out to Seattle. So we were up and down the East Coast, moved out to Seattle about 13 years ago and have been here um, just living the life, um, learning what it means to kind of be empty nesters now. Our last last one is a senior in college, I mean, in high school. Okay. And um, yeah, just figuring that out. We just got a puppy. Wow. Exciting. A COVID puppy. Is this like Pray a, for yeah. us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I made the, us. I made that mistake too. So, I know. Yeah, we're like, we'll why, why did we do that? <laughs> uh, we were almost free. Um, yeah. And so we, we 2020, early 2020, January, um, I just woke up one day thinking we need to write a book. And I've had publishers kind of reach out to me asking sure. if I'd read a book. And, you know, I'm just not in the season to do that right now as a lead pastor. And um, I turned to Brian and I was like, no, we need to write a book. And I was like, what are we going to write? Well, marriage, what can we write about? <laughs> and as we actually started thinking about what, what kind of frames um, the things that we hear people say all the time when, yeah. when they're with us or what they gleaned from us is the way we've told our story. Yeah, uh, We've had groups to our house. We've had um, younger couples and single folk over at our house for many years, feeding them, sharing stories, sharing life. And that's the thing we constantly hear yeah. is, hey, we, you know, we really appreciate the way you opened your home, your lives to us. And so that's where this book came from. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit and we wrote it. We wrote this book in the pandemic. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you know, I, I will say that, um, you know, as someone who has read it, 
uh, the idea of, you know, you getting such feedback about opening your home and opening your lives. This is a very narrative led book. I mean, it, it's your story woven throughout it. And so I felt just reading it like you were opening your home and your lives to, to mm-hmm. me as a reader, um, which was, I think, one of the most beautiful parts. So mission accomplished for sure mm-hmm. on, uh, on doing that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Thank you. Um, Quick, quick question, follow up on that. Um, you, you said, you know, your, your dad said you got to choose between me and, and Brian. Um, was that, uh, based on race? Was that based on a a number of factors? Um, and, and how has that continued to kind of play itself out as you've had issues between, you know, parents and you guys, because I, I will say that as someone who, um, is a millennial that pastors a church with a lot of millennials in it. Uh, there have been some breaks between a lot of our, you know, millennial couples and their parents uh, for a number of different reasons. And so how was that and how has navigating that been? That's actually a really good question. I'll answer it from first from the perspective of in the moment. Okay. In the moment, what was told to me was because Brian was a black man. Okay. Um, and then alongside that was me feeling called to ministry. Hmm. So I was at a music school wanting to be a musician, a professional musician. And my dad was very invested in that. But then after my mom died, I really felt called to follow in her footsteps. She was a pastor, Hmm. felt called to ministry. And he was a little bit more traditional in women being pastors and leaders. So there was a generational gap there. So between him being black and me going into ministry, it was... That's he, he believed that that was not the path for me. Yeah. Um, but in hindsight, so this is where how I would share that. Yes, those things were big factors in his kind of disownment. But I would also say I wish I was a little bit more wise and discerning in the moment because I, mm. I know he was also experiencing grief sure. in losing his wife as sure. well and the potential of losing his daughter in the yeah. midst of that. And so I think just navigating for me, my personality, my bent, when I'm passionate about something, when I believe in something, you know, it's not a movement. It's not a hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's more this Black life matters. And so what am I going to do about it? What what am I willing to risk? What am I willing to give up? Um, And what's the cost in the things that we say we believe in? And sometimes it's very costly. Um, Mm. And would I just do anything to get that time back? Absolutely. But I'm also grateful for the reconciling moment we did have right before he passed. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Anything to add, Dr. Brian, on kind of your perspective of all that? I mean, I think part of it is, you know, we talk a lot about kind of learning one another's culture. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, this, the whole process was a, a process of me, coming to understand my own blackness in a different kind of way, which I had been slowly learning over time, but I think also learning the realities of how race was functioning inside of Korean communities and Mm -hmm. and the complications of that, um, whether it's approximation or assimilation or anti-blackness and and how each community deals with what it means to be, to kind of navigate an immigrant reality um, in its own way. And, um, And so, it was, but then at the same time, also, what does it mean to support Gail in the midst yeah. of what's a really difficult? I mean, I think to have that wedding and not have him there, right. yeah. you know, yeah. 
was just, I mean, I think really painful and, and yeah. all of the kind of conversations and non-conversations over time, the fact that our boys, you know, did, don't have, didn't have their, their, um, their, their grandfather as a kind of connection to their own Korean yeah. identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of loss there, um, yeah. definitely. But we also realize it's, you know, God moves in the midst of all of it, you know, sure. in God's own way. And, and what does it mean to learn from that along yeah. the way? Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you all for sharing that. Um, so the, the subtitle of the book, like I said earlier, is Marriage and Mutual Flourishing in a World of Difference. Um, many of our folks and, and myself and my wife included are coming out of, of purity culture, kind of growing up in evangelicalism, coming out of purity culture, coming out of very hierarchical marriage teachings um, that have been really harmful. And that I, honestly, my wife and I have been married um, almost 12 years and we're continuing to uh, disentangle our relationship from a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but I think a lot of us also find ourselves struggling to figure out kind of what is like a, a somewhat biblical marriage or sexual ethic as we continue to like try to live out a life of, of Jesus and, and struggling with the, the kind of modern ideas um, that like, you know, marriage is archaic and, and covenants don't matter anymore and, and things like that. And um, your book, honestly, is, is one of, if not the only marriage book that I've read that is truly, I think, based on the idea of mutual submission, mutual love, and mutual flourishing, as talked about in scripture and places like Ephesians and Colossians and things like that. So could you talk about, you know, it's obviously more than a subtitle for y'all. Could you talk about why that is the foundation for your marriage and, you know, you make the case for marriages in general? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think for both of us, and in a lot of ways, it actually connects to to um, to Pastor Gail's story of her father. And my father had passed away when I was seventeen. My mom passed away when I was when we were twenty five. Um, you know, we didn't necessarily have a lot of of mentors. We didn't have yeah. a big extended family. Um, so, I, so I think before either of us really thought about covenant as a kind of technical term, right? So I think we both got married. I think we both said like, we want to be married for life. Right. Um, yeah. But I don't think we necessarily went into it with this idea like, oh, we've made a covenant that we have to bind yeah. ourselves to now yeah. that somehow if we break it, God will be ashamed of us and will be. Mm. Um, but I think because of the realities of our family lives, we didn't have anywhere else to go. Sure. Um, and so, so it was really every single decision that we had to make, whether it was, you know, out of joy and excitement or whether it was a kind of conflict and, and, and moments of real struggle. And, you know, and you kind of get to this point when you, you, you're really, each of us are like maybe really pissed with one another. Yeah. Um, and you get those really serious thoughts, like maybe my life would be a little bit better if, if yeah. we weren't together. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think for us, and this is just our kind of family circumstance, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of natural outlets, you know, like I couldn't go back to my family. We didn't, we got married so young that our friend groups were like, we're all entangled. Right. Yeah. Um, and so this idea of like a life before us mm. was like, didn't exist. And so when yeah. you really started to get down to it, you're like, wait, I, I'm who I am is so bound up and entangled mm. in this other person yeah. that my happiness is bound to their happiness. And so what ends up happening is not so much that like, oh, I'd be better off. We're just, we're better off together than we are apart. Yeah. It's more realizing, wait, if that person's pain 
if that person is in pain, if that person is not feeling fulfilled, if that person is feeling limited and, and I have something to do with that, then somehow my life is, is limited. Like yeah. that's painful for me. Yeah. Um, and so I think this idea of covenant for us emerges when we realize it's not an ideal or like a legal clause. Yeah. It's actually a braiding of lives together where mm, all of those little pieces are so kind of caught up that one's pain is your pain and one's joy is your joy. Yeah. Um, and, and so covenant becomes this really living thing, yeah. not yeah. a principle to adhere to. Yeah. And I would actually say it's for us um, leading a multi-church, multi-racial, multi-ethnic, multilingual, multicultural, yeah. right? There's there's a lot of difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, this notion of covenant, it's very theological. Mm-hmm. I always go back to Ruth's statement and like beseeching yeah. of Naomi, like where you go, I will go. Basically yeah. saying who I am is not, it means nothing without you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Where you go, I go, where, where you die there too, I shall die. Your God yeah. will be my, right. And this is what I tell our people too, in the midst of so much difference and conflict and tension yeah. and uncertainty and anger sometimes. Yeah. Right. What are we going to do? Are we all going to go our separate ways or are we going to bind ourselves together? Are we going to lean in? Are we going to try to figure out what collective thriving and mutual flourishing is going to look like? Where are the power structures? Who holds, who holds power in this moment? What are you, what are you willing to give up and Mm. what are you willing to take on? Who are we willing to center and who's willing to back up? Yeah. Right. And I think it's, it's so theological. It's so godly and it's so communal. Absolutely. Oh, that's marriage beautiful. is just marriage is just one example of that yeah. notion of community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y'all do a great job, I think, throughout the book of talking about marriage as just one example of this. That's right. um, and I think that's uh, so important. I, I love the idea of, of mutuality as a pushback against the transactional nature of relationships that yeah. often happens in our world, um, yeah. which is like, you know, are we better together or apart? Am I getting as much as I'm putting in, you yeah. know, those types of things. Um, but mutuality sees ourselves as, as tied up together. Our lives as braided together, which is, yeah. I think is so beautiful. Um, but like I said a second ago, you, you both really do a great job throughout the book of not elevating, you know, kind of hetero marriage above, um, whether it's LGBTQ relationships or, or being single, which I'll come back to that single part in just a second. Um, but you do have a chapter that each of you write a chapter on gender and marriage from your perspective. And so Dr. Brian, you know, you write it from a man's perspective and then Pastor Gail from a woman's perspective. So could you each take a turn and talk a little bit about how you've dealt with some of the gender stereotypes that, that you bring in that have been placed on you, maybe from childhood, or maybe just that we all get placed on, whether it's faith-based or culture-based um, in a marriage relationship? Yeah. So, so I came to Christ, uh, like as a teenager in the Southern Baptist church. Um, and, and while I was that, that really early formation and only it was only for about a two years, but it kind of, it sticks. I mean, it kind of sticks with you. Um, even when you have kind of dramatic conversions, um, you know, so I was like the whole thing, like Bible's inerrant, God has roles. There's kind of this natural order to everything. And, um, and I think part of what, in a lot of ways, it didn't make a lot of sense given how I grew up, which was in a house full of women. My father was kind of in and out. 
My mother was a really, really strong woman, just held everything together, loved with her whole self. Um, and so, and then I make, and then I meet Gail and she doesn't, she still like, doesn't remember. She remembers that the conversation happened because I told her it happened, but I think she blacked it out, but we actually had this, we're on the phone and we're talking about ministry and the Bible and having a deep, like holy conversation about callings. And, you know, and she talks about how her mother was, was a pastor. And I was like, oh, well, that can't be. Because like, that's, that's not biblical. Yeah. Like, like women can't be pastors. Women can do all kinds of things. You know, and I just kind of, I threw out all those old tropes and then the line goes dead. It's totally silent. I'm like, hello? <laughs> hello? And, and so then she proceeds to tell me, like all, like gives me like the biblical accounts, the reality of her own mom's yeah. calling, of the emergent calling in her life. Um, you know, and, and so you love somebody and then all of a sudden you kind of have to like, you start to rethink these things a little bit. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, but then you start going back to scripture through her eyes, right? Mm. And then all of a yep. sudden you see Naomi and Ruth and you see Rahab and you see Mary and all of a sudden there's like, much more complicated story yeah. than what I was given, you know, yeah. in my Southern Baptist upbringing. And, and so that really kind of began my kind of, you know, journey towards rec recognizing and, and embracing the fullness of women's gifts, um, yeah. but also slowly starting to learn about the limitations of, of what I have been taught as a man. Sure. Um, and, but I think part of what that, and I, and I think some of I thought I was doing a pretty good job, you know, like I was, I was taking care of babies. I was hold, I hold, I held Caleb, um, took care of him at night. We kind of did like, we split our shifts for all of our kids. And I yeah. took like the 11 PM to 3 AM shift. And she took the 3 AM to 6 PM shift, 6 AM. Yeah. And, you know, like, you know, and changing schedules. And I thought I was like, I was the man. <laughs> um, and, and the reality is like, I probably was, but it wasn't because I was so amazing. It was actually because the bar for, for men is so low, sure. right. Yeah. Um, you know, that if I, if I attended to kids and if I kind of sort of made a little bit of room for my partner, yeah. you know, I was like amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, but it wasn't until we were about 10 years into our marriage, we had moved to Seattle um, Gail was moving, uh, Gail was, uh, had been, was now working full-time, comes home from full day of meetings, has to go back to church for more meetings. I come back from teaching and I'm like, well, what's like, you know, and I asked, well, what's for dinner? And she's like, I don't know, like, what is for dinner? And, <laughs> and so then the, this, and then we have a kind of vigorous conversation about, um, you know, about grocery lists, you know, mm, yeah. and um, this expectation of, of, of me kind of doing whatever it is that she'll ask me to do. It was like, Hey, look, baby, you know, like I'll do whatever, just tell me yeah. what I need to do. But yeah. she was like, this is like, that's not mutual. Right. Cause yeah. I, if I have to come up with this list and plan all these things, then and you're just executing, that's not actually mutuality. And so yeah. that was the beginning, I think of a really long conversation um, and, and a lot of introspection about the ways in which masculinity has privileged me in terms of a lot, a whole host of things that I don't have to think about, yeah, sure. um, the kind of presumptions that I have to think about. But I think the other part of it is the ways that the world sees my body and privileges my body. You know, so along this time, like I'm getting job offers, I'm getting mm -hmm. inquiries, I'm getting invitations to go speak here and there, 
all the while, Gail is kind of really struggling for recognition in the church, struggling to kind of um, just prove that she's, that her calling is there. Um, And so some of the really hard conversations that we've had to have is, you know, what does it look like for me to slow down, for me to say no to all of these things Mm. so that it's possible for Gail to say yes Um, and even discover and kind of make room for that, not knowing what will happen. Um, Yeah. So I think, so for me, a lot of it was like this kind of deconstructive process of understanding how masculinity is functioning and forming had formed me and continues to form me. Um, And even the ways that that works out in our workplaces, you know, like a lot of the same kind of work happens in our workplaces and our community groups. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does it mean for me to begin to own that um, in, in some different kinds of ways? Oh, that's great. I resonate with a ton of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, I remember the first time that like, um, I was, I was keeping our kids, uh, we have two biological kids and then we were foster parents for a long time as well. And I remember, I think it was keeping a couple of kids one time and, um, I, I referred to it as babysitting. I think, you know, like, um, like the idea that like, you know, if, if I'm alone with the kids, it's like a really incredible special thing. Um, but if my wife is alone with the kids, like that's just normal motherhood, right. you know? And right. yeah, that you're exactly right. Deconstructing some of that sometimes through vigorous, I love how you said that vigorous conversation with your, <laughs> your spouse. We've had some vigorous conversations over the years and I've learned a ton from uh, my wife, Amy. Um, Pastor Gail, what about you as you wrote yeah. that chapter? Yeah, before I go there, I actually just want to note that that chapter on masculinity is my favorite chapter of the book. Oh, that's awesome. It is great. Uh, for multiple reasons, because I think as a woman, it's it's often our work hmm. to try to break down toxic masculinity, patriarchy, yeah. and to try to name these things along the way as we're living in real time. But to have a man actually speak to it and to articulate it and to break it down, deconstruct it in a way that is receivable for your thriving. It's, it's for your good and for our good collective good, um, which was just inspiring for me to read. Um, For, for the, the chapter that I wrote called glass bulbs and rubber balls, it really was, you know, I thought it was really interesting. I actually brought it up to Brian once that I said, you know, I feel like my chapter is inadequate compared to yours because you're talking about histories of masculinity and patriarchy and you're like doing all this deconstruction and systems and, um, and then mine is like, how do you live into um, what it means to fully be you? And he actually was like, no, actually it's appropriate because women have always had to like figure out how to live into embody our call motherhood partnering all of the things right and so as a woman who is also called outside of the home i think this is where um i took all the stories and relationships that i've had over the years in ministry as a pastor as a woman as a mother as a wife um and I, I felt like the thing that I really wanted to share with um, both women and men or anybody in a relationship yeah. who are, who's trying to hold something, a vision, a way of life together, a community yeah. together is to say, we need to stop and think about what, what season are we in? Yeah. Right. And I think the, the phrase I always have heard, and I, 
often ask myself is how, how am I going to juggle everything? How am I balancing spinning plates? And people used to always say that to me was you're something's going to drop. You can't, (laughs) you can't juggle all that. And after a while I was like, you know, you're right. We're Mm. not meant to juggle things. We're not meant to balance life. And when I looked at creation, creation itself doesn't balance, doesn't juggle. That's right. There's, it's a cycle of life and death. (laughs) seasons of things that emerge and then are laid down. And I think when the sooner we can grasp that concept in our own lives of there are seasons when there are glass bulbs that are more fragile. Oftentimes I'll say it's whenever something is new or changing or shifting in our lives, new job, new home, new city, new baby, a dying parent, um, any kind of shift that's happening in our lives are, is typically really fragile that if you let that thing drop, it can be devastating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then there are things that are rubber balls when yeah. you can let drop and it'll bounce back. Yeah. Right. So 15 years into your marriage, your marriage may not be a glass bulb in this. Right. Moment. Yeah. If you let something drop, if you don't have weekly date nights, it might be okay. Right. Yeah. Pay attention to your daughter who's getting bullied mm, yeah, yeah. in school. That's your That's grasp ball, right? That's good. Um, so it's it's my attempt to kind of encourage our couples. Um, and I would say it actually extends beyond just women. Absolutely. And but it is, I think, liberating. It was it was my way of saying, how do you liberate yourself and free yourself yeah. from that bondage of feeling like you got to hold it all together? And the guilt that many women feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's so well said. The analogy of the, you know, the the glass bulbs and rubber balls, I I was found to be so helpful. Mm. Um, and uh, but but you're right. I think that it does apply to everyone. And also, yeah. there are unique pressures put on on women that's and specifically right. mothers. Um, you know, who feel called outside the home as well, like you said. So that was one of my favorite chapters as well. Mm. Um, Okay. You mentioned the idea that this applies to everyone. And we've said that a a few times, a lot of this stuff can apply to everyone. Um, In chapter three, you say, quote, the disruptive possibilities of love are not unique to marriage. Um, And so I want to ask you a little bit, just briefly, how how does this work for for single people, people who've been single their whole lives, people who've been divorced, um, you know, people who are in dating relationships, but have not gotten into marriage yet? Um, what, What does some of this stuff look like for them? Yeah, so I think, so if we kind of, the progression of, of, of chapters in the book is, you know, we talk about, you know, learning yourself, you know, what does it mean to kind of recognize your own story, your, these patterns in one's own life, because, you know, if, if you're not doing that work, and this is, you know, kind of a, a general kind of recognition, but, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, but it's oftentimes we don't do it, we don't, we get into yeah. these conflicts, and we never ask ourselves what's going on with what am I bringing mm. to this, to yeah. this conflict, right? Um, and then the next chapter is about learning this other person that we're with. And, yeah. and on one, on the one hand, it's learning who they are, um, and, and learning their stories and learning who they're becoming, because the reality is, is both learning ourselves and learning this other person are an ongoing process. They're never, you know, Gail's not this kind of finite thing that if I just study her long enough, I'll know everything, (laughs) you know, she's shifting and moving. And then you combine (laughs) the two of us 
And all of a yeah. sudden who I am now is different because I'm with, with her. Yeah. Um, and so, so in the sense the calculus is always, is always changing. Um, then you add to that things like one's racial awareness, like how one grew up in one's cultural context, the very particular stories of one's like immigrant parents, you know, language, food, gender. So, so what all of these kind of things begin to kind of add up to is really not just about marriage. It's actually about relationality. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So if you have a really good friend and you get into a conflict and and your friend is saying, you know, I just got pulled over by, uh, it's a black friend and I just got pulled over by a cop. And I'm like, I was scared to death. And, and the white friend says, well, I don't really understand if you had just done well. So at that point, all of a sudden, that's not just a matter of like an idea, right? Right. That's a matter of relationality of, of each yeah. person having to do some of this work of thinking about who I am, who are we together? Yeah. What does our story look like together? Um, I mean, I think in lots of ways, friendships are probably the most difficult actually mm-hmm. of all of those, because at any given moment, like y'all could just leave. Yeah, like sure. you actually don't need one another. Yeah. Um, and some of those stories of people who have been friends, you know, from the time they're elementary school mm-hmm. yeah. till the time, you know, they die are just amazing to me. And the work that the work that that requires, yeah. right, the kind of commitment, a kind of implicit covenant in lots of ways yeah. is really important. So I think when we begin to think about this idea of relationality mm-hmm. yeah. And the kind of ways that we have to learn one another, learn ourselves, learn each other's stories, um, and be committed not only to who that person is, but to who they're becoming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's there's something to be said there about how God, in fact, interacts with all of us, right? Yeah. Because part of this, a part of the beauty and the power of the incarnation is that God subjects God's self to that relationality, mm. um, not just, and, and not actually marriage. Like that's the one relationship right. that God doesn't become, right? right. God becomes, right. A, God becomes a child. God yeah. becomes a brother. God becomes, a you son. know, a grandson, um, yeah. a friend. Um, and so in fact, this idea of a covenantal devotion and the kind of ongoing work and self-reflection and promise of what those relationships mean um, are always like, that's like the air that's moving around. It's the current. Yes. And so marriage, I think if they're going to be mutually flourishing, have to actually recognize all of the work that happens prior to one getting married that's right. yes. and yes. the work that continues to unfold as one's has relationships with others because it's not like you become married and all of a sudden you become this hermetically sealed people that don't have, you still have friends, you still have parents, you still have um, work relationships and all of those kinds of relationships actually require this same kind of work. Um, And so I think that's our hope was that people can begin to see this as a book of relationality. Yes. Um, that helps there might help your marriage, but hopefully it also helps your friendships and yeah. your familial relationships as well. I love that. I think you you guys did that well. Absolutely. Um, oh, that, that came that came through hundred um, percent. Okay, I, I want to wrap up with uh, kind of a final question, and I'm going to ask Pastor Gail to, to pray over us um, as we finish. But um, chapter six, you called it our golden rule. And uh, it just starts out with a simple sentence. We don't do anything big until we both feel total peace in the decision. Um, I, I, when I read that, I realized that my wife and I have a similar rule. And that was cool. Like, I was like, oh, this is very confirming. <laughs> um, 
And uh, but obviously it doesn't always work. Um, it, it, it there can be tension inside of it, um, and uh, it's not always as easy as just a you know a sentence to chapter to to start a chapter of a book. A lot of times there's a lot of stuff that that goes on under it. So could you guys just conclude us with the idea of how did you come to that golden rule, and then what does it look like to commit yourselves to it together? Yeah, I don't know if. I don't know where we got that from. I think we might have even said that in the in the chapter, um, no. but I don't know where it came from. But I think between all of the many big decisions we've had to make from the time, literally, that we met at 19 years old. Yeah. I mean, if you just think about the evolution of oh, yeah. what's involved in getting married, having children, vocational discernment. Yeah. Um, where we're going to live grad school. I mean, there were so many big decisions. And I think for me, it was really important as somebody who really knew that I was what I was called to and knew I was not about to stay home and be subject to following a man around wherever he wanted to go. I mean, it was, it was just so like in me to say, Hey, just because you say, we're going here, or I want to do this, or I want to do, doesn't mean that that's what happens. So how are we going to make these big decisions? And so we would think through all the um, circumstantial things. And then how do we actually feel about it? Because what we don't want to do is uproot Mm -hmm. and then resent one another. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really important for us. It took us a little while to learn how to be honest and open and forthright but how do we get to a place where we can honestly say, I don't think, even though you want that job in another mm-hmm. state, I'm actually really happy right now. Yeah. And I don't think that that's the best decision for yeah. me yeah. and vice versa. Right. Yeah. Um, but it took a lot of courage and trust yeah. to be able to just say, babe, I know that's your dream job, but I can already tell you right now, I'm going to resent it. Yeah. And for him to have to hear that, hold space for it. I'm sure he went through his own feelings and his own thoughts. Um, But also for me, it was actually really important because I grew up Pentecostal Hmm. for all its beauty and its ills. Um, (laughs) But one of the things in Pentecostalism is hearing from the spirit. You don't make any move unless you feel like God is in that. Yeah. And just growing up in that kind of faith of trusting God, of leaning on God, and knowing that God also speaks through other people. Yes, absolutely. Was actually really foundational to my faith and to where I felt like God was leading us in that moment. And so I would trust that if Brian felt the same exact thing, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So to hear an affirmation or confirmation from people who know you well, that you trust, works as a kind of confirmation of what we felt like God was leading us toward. Yeah. And I, and I think the other side of that, I think it's, it's kind of ironic because sometimes you say like, we don't do anything without peace, but oftentimes what that means is that there are actually significant moments without peace <laughs> because yeah. one person might want, might be ready to go, but then the other yeah. person isn't. Right. Um, but then I think the underside of that might be, you know, if I'm just sitting there and we've, and we've made this mistake, I've made this mistake before of, of saying like, okay, we're not going to do anything with the peace. So I'm just going to bide my time. 
Mm, sure. <laughs> and I'm going to let girl know that I'm not real happy about right now. Yeah. And, you know, whenever she's ready to change, like yeah. I'm ready to go, yeah. but that's not peace. Right. No. Um, and so part of what I think this process and, and it's really, really hard early on because you don't have it, you have no track record, but over time, what I, what we slowly began to find. And I think, and this is what I began to find was that those moments of waiting like I wasn't just doing her a favor hmm. that the yeah. gift of peace was that God was still doing, God was still working. Yeah. Um, and that there was something, even though there was something that I thought I wanted, mm. that that lack of peace for Gail was not just for her sake, but it was also for my sake. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, and, and so in that process, if there isn't peace in that moment, what that means, uh, peace in terms of the move, or peace in terms of it mean what what it means is that there's still something for me, something for one of us to begin to dig a little bit deeper in, mm. so that yeah. we can find peace in that moment that then allows us to recognize what the from a from a space of certainty, a space of centeredness, what that next move will be, mm. as yeah. opposed to making a big decision out of a sense of lack or fear yes. or yeah. insecurity, um, which then kind of compounds, you know, the problems over time. Yeah. Um, so I think now we, we're, I think we're at a point where we really, I, there's a much deeper sense of trust, not just in the other person, but a trust in God that like, yeah. if she doesn't have peace, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, that, that God's going to be with us, that we are going to discover a kind of, that this, this circumstance is going to bear fruit in ways that yeah. I don't quite understand right now, hmm. but let me just be still and know, mm-hmm. um, and begin to, and to dig deep into that, to discover what it might be. Um, knowing that the thing that I thought I wanted, I might not actually want. Right. at the end of it all. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's the gift. Again, it's, it's a hard, it's, it's really hard early on because there's no track record, right? You know, there's, right. there's no evidence of that. So, so yeah. there are some hard conversations, but um, I think speaking on the other side of that, I think that is the yeah. promise of what's possible. In that yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's well said by both of y'all. Um, you know, Brene Brown talks about uh, the the trust being like a jar of marbles that you just put yeah. marble after marble, right? And so mm-hmm. at the beginning of any relationship, there's just not going to be as much there. Um, but the trust is in the process of continuing to build and build. And it actually reminds me, I think of what probably is my favorite quote from the book, which y'all say again and again, we've come to realize that peace was not about the problem being resolved or getting a dream job or being sure about what was going to happen. Peace was about trust that we would be with one another in the midst of it, mm-hmm. um, which I was just very impacted by um, mm-hmm. as I was the whole book. So um, thank you guys so much. I could keep talking forever um, yeah. to y'all and really <laughs> listening mostly <laughs> than, than talking, but um, we're encouraging folks to get the book um, and uh, to support y'all. Um, I just want to say before I ask you, Pastor Gail, to, to pray and close us that I have uh, benefited so much from both of your work, your voices, You are both um, not just incredible people of God, but you are uh, exceptional communicators. And um, you're able to take these really big, you know, theological, academic ideas and and put them in ways that are are digestible and practical. Um, And you both do that in in really beautiful ways as I've read your work and listened to your work. And um, I'm just thankful for y'all that uh, we get to embody the same space and work in the same kingdom and uh, try to do this thing together. Yeah. Amen. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us.
Yeah, thank you for being here. Pastor Gail, would you pray for us and close Absolutely. us out? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Let's pray. Creator, Redeemer, and sustaining God. The one who is wholly interconnected, even in your own being. Hmm. I thank you for the privilege and the sacredness of this space, even through the medium of technology, to be able to be joined um, with this community in Austin. Uh, God, I thank you for the ways that uh, you have formed and shaped and called this church into being, that you breathe life into each one of them, into their vision, into their mission uh, and their purpose um, on this earth. God, I thank you for the ways that you have uh, spoken to them, that you have used our words to inspire, to encourage and to compel um, whoever um, had the ears to hear. God, I pray that these were seeds um, that fell on good soil, mm. that it would bear fruit in the days, weeks, and months to come. God, more than anything, uh, I'm grateful for uh, community. I'm grateful for this extended community, even from Seattle, and for new friendships in Pastor Zach. Uh, and God, I thank you for the promise that no matter where we find ourselves, uh, that you are the God who first saw us and that yes. said, you will be my people and I will be your God. And you extended and increased your borders and your boundaries and said that those who are far off would be brought near, that you are the one that would leave the 99 for the one. And so God, thank you for the promise that surely goodness and mercy will chase us down all the days of our lives. We receive that truth and that promise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 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 Thank you all again so much. Amen. I hope we get to connect again in the near future. Absolutely. All right. Bye. All right. Peace.